2: Hello, Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started.
3: All right. Hello, hello, everyone. Just me here today. And today I'm going to talk about something a little bit off topic. Sleeping on the floor. Normally on this podcast and the rest of my social media, on Instagram and YouTube, and my business and career in general is usually about health. Now, Health is definitely one of the most important things in life, but there are other important things in life as well. And one of the things in my life that I think has been important in making me who I am today was the 15 or maybe 16 years that I spent sleeping on the floor. And that's what I want to talk about today. My following across all channels is mostly young men, men under the age of 35. And there are a lot of other demographics that follow me, but this podcast really is for them, and maybe even for some parents who are dealing with spoiled or entitled children, and especially if those parents don't understand the values of their children and don't understand why they're different from theirs. Now, I'm not a boomer. I was born in 1989, but I sympathize with a lot of the boomer outlooks. When they say, oh, things were harder in my day. You know, when I was a kid, I had to actually work for stuff. I had to actually walk to school on my own in the cold, in the rain, all this stuff, all these hardships. I think there is so much value in hardships. And a lot of people are talking about the entitlement of the younger generations, but I'm not certain that it's an age thing. I think this is a problem of prosperity. We are more prosperous than ever, and there are consequences to that prosperity. There are consequences to abundance. I'm not saying that those things are bad, but I do think we should appreciate them, we should grow into them, and we should earn them. And before I jump into this topic, I just want to say, if you're new here, first of all, welcome. Thank you for joining us. I share a lot of interesting stuff on this podcast, talks with myself and other guests, mostly about health, sometimes about life stuff like this. I also share a lot of lectures and audiobooks, anything that has helped me in my life or that might help you in your life. So you can follow the podcast and you can see much more from me, including the books that I've written and the free audio and video versions of my books. You can find all of that as well as all of my social media profiles and more on my website, noticebooks.org. Notice is spelled not us, so that's usbooks.org. And I am in the health business, so I will mention that if you have a health problem or you are looking to just do better and optimize, you can reach out to me. We give free health evaluations. We give you recommendations for foods and supplements and talk about anything else that might be relevant to you. We do that with a questionnaire. You can contact me through notusbooks.org or my email in the description of this video. I'll send you the questionnaire, you fill it out, I will respond with my best advice. And you can take it or leave it, whether you buy something from us or not. I also would like to send more people over to my very competent friend and colleague, Dr. Kevin Reese and his team at the Peace Over Pain Clinic They do have a program that guides you even closer than I do. They will give you all the same food and supplement recommendations, but they will also guide you through posture protocols. They do this virtually. They have an app. They upload it with posture protocols that are specific to your posture problems. A lot of people listening here are truckers or drivers Or people in other professions that do have posture problems, do have back problems and neck pain and all this stuff. And you'd be amazed what some posture therapy can do for you. Posture therapy is amazing because you can do it for yourself. As I said, they just upload the exercises on the app. They check up on your progress. You send them pictures of your posture, basically. Front, back, side to side. They reevaluate, tell you what you need to do next. And that's actually fixed me. I was born in pain. I was born with my hips dislocated. It's called dysplasia. I had childhood arthritis or stiff man syndrome is what I would more appropriately call it. I also had other problems like Tourette's and uncontrollable twitching and muscle spasms and cramps and all kinds of problems in the musculoskeletal region. Nutrition fixed me very quickly. Got rid of my pain. Got rid of my insomnia. Got rid of the cramps. Got rid of my general miserableness. But... Nutrition won't fix your posture. So Dr. Reese and the Peace Over Pain Clinic at peaceoverpain.com by the way, that posture therapy has really changed my life and taken me to the next level. I thought I was already healthy, now I'm at a whole new level of health and vigor. And if you do want a closer guidance on a full spectrum nutritional health posture program, definitely check out peaceoverpain.com. And that's not a paid advertisement, We do work together, and this year, 2023, has been the busiest year so far in the business. Thank you all who are customers and distributors. I appreciate you. You have changed my life financially, but we're also incredibly busy dealing with all of these protocols, so I would love it if more people went to peaceoverpain.com and let them handle you as well. And check out Dr. Reese's book, Peace Over Pain, for a good, thorough, but brisk introduction to this whole concept of health. In food, nutrition, and posture. And with that out of the way, we can jump right in. Sleeping on the floor. So as I mentioned, I was born in pain, basically. With my hips dislocated, the only thing the doctors had for me was to tell my parents to put multiple diapers on me to hold my hips in place until they healed. But that did not fix the underlying problem, so I grew up with pain. If I turned my neck too quickly, I would pull a muscle out and have to wear a neck brace to school for the next two or three weeks. I couldn't roughhouse with the boys or play sports or anything because I was too fragile, scared that I was going to break something. So whenever I do mention sleeping on the floor, which is not very often, people tend to think that I did it for health reasons. But I don't think that's how the story goes. As far as I can remember, my little brother and I had a bunk bed to begin with. My sister was born, and a few years later she needed a bed, so she inherited my bed basically because the bunk bed came apart into two beds, and so she got my half. And if memory serves me correctly, I got another bed, but it wasn't a brand new bed. It was bigger, but I broke it fairly quickly. I do believe that's what happened. It broke, so my parents bought me a futon at that point, which is basically just a big pillow on a metal frame couch futon. But I was quite a tall kid, and I'm still tall now, obviously, so sleeping on a futon was really not that comfortable. And it didn't take long for me to just ditch the metal frame and put the big pillow futon thing on the ground. And I did grow up on the first floor of the house, so I do think that helped a lot. Because I just finished this book called Earthing by Clinton Ober. It's all about grounding yourself to the electrical energy of the earth. A lot of people talk about walking barefoot and such. That's what this is, earthing or grounding. I was very persuaded by this book. I was already a strong believer of the power of energy. I've been in the energy business simultaneously with the health business for several years. I have written about this at length, by the way, in my book, Fake Diseases. Of course, again, you can find that in the free audio video versions on my website, notusbooks.org. Told that whole story of how I got into the business and some of the crazy miracle things that I've seen in that business. So I know that energy can heal. I do believe in grounding, I do believe in earthing, and in response to that book, I actually bought myself a grounding sheet for my bed. And it's only been about a week or so, but my wife and I have both been getting really great sleeps. I complain a lot when I'm down here in the cities, we're just outside of Houston here, and I always complain that I can't sleep properly, that I get all these random pains, and I get tired and grouchy, and a little bit depressed. And I blame that on EMF, because my nutrition is really good. It's really on point, and if anything, it's better when I'm down here. My wife doesn't let me eat sugar or anything, and to be honest, when I'm at my house up north in Canada, I have been overindulging a little bit. So my nutrition is even better down here in Houston, but I have a much harder time sleeping and just getting along in general. I have a whole bunch of energy devices. I'm surrounded by them. I wear them on my body. I have them in my pocket. I have them here on my desk. We have them all over the house, all types of different energy devices. I was at my wits end saying, I don't want to buy any more devices, but the grounding sheet seems to have really helped. So I bring this up because this got me thinking about the time that I spent on the floor. And a lot of people think it's just because, oh, it straightens your back out. Well, I always slept on my side, so I don't even think that's true. But it's possible that all those years on the floor, at least in the locations that I actually was on the ground on the first floor, I think that would have helped my health quite a lot. I don't know how much worse I could have been without that. Scares me to think how much worse I could have been. I was in pain practically all the time. But I slept on the floor and I got used to it. And I just never got a bed actually after that. In fact, in my whole life here since then, since a little boy, I have never bought a bed. I have moved around a lot. I've lived in over 20 places, depending on how long you have to be somewhere to consider it living. But over 20 places, definitely. Some of those places were on the first floor and grounded, and some of them were not. But I just got so used to sleeping on the floor that I kept doing it. And this brings me to the actual reason that I think it benefited me, and that was discipline. When I left the comfort of my mother's home, I was in my early 20s. I set off for Europe without a plan. When I got there, I rented a room in a house full of other immigrants, basically. I think there was seven other people and a child in that house. We all had a small room. The room I rented did have a bed in it. A small, uncomfortable European bed with springs that jammed into your back and all that. And I never slept on it. I didn't feel right about it. I had just set off, again, without a plan. I didn't have much in life. I had some savings. I had a suitcase full of books. I had an old laptop, a bit of clothes, and that's it. And I didn't want to waste time. I didn't know what to do. I didn't have a job to do. I wasn't working on a book, you know, I was basically just figuring out what to do, but I didn't think that sitting in bed or laying in bed or being comfortable in a bed was going to help me in any way. And the only time I would sleep in a bed was when there was really no other option. For instance, staying in a hostel with like 20 other men, I'm going to sleep in the bed, I'm not going to sleep on the floor. And that was my main thing, I didn't feel that I deserved the comfort. There's a lot of people out there saying that like, Housing is a human right. It blows my mind. Housing is a human right. Universal basic income. Implying that the world owes you something. I don't believe in this at all. I actually don't believe in rights. People talk about God-given rights. It's my God-given right to say what I want, have free speech, and to carry guns, and whatever. I don't believe in rights. I believe in power. People say, you know, these unimpeachable, inalienable rights. Well, that's not true. If God made these rights unimpeachable, then they would be unimpeachable. People wouldn't be able to censor you or take your guns away, but physically they can because, again, I don't think there's such thing as rights. There is only such a thing as power. We absolutely should fight to keep our power and get more power. And, of course, the government's job is to take power away from you. Every law takes power away from you. That's all they do is write new laws. They don't give rights back, they don't give freedoms back, at least not very often, and no examples come to my mind. Just saying, the people out there saying that they have rights, I think you're wrong. You have powers, and we can exercise our powers, and we can gain new powers, and we can work together and optimize our power, but that's it. Nobody owes you universal basic income. I do not believe in that. Housing is not a human right. I don't know what the argument really is for this. It blows my mind. That anybody can think like this. The entitlement is incredible to me. I don't think anyone owes me anything, even the people who owe me money, frankly. There's a couple of people who owe me a couple of dollars. I chose to lend it to them, they needed it. If they don't pay me back, it's my fault. This is business. You take a risk when you loan something in business. It's one of my problems with the government bailing out these banks and stuff. 2008, they bailed out the banks. Why? Banks are supposed to take risks. When they make a loan, if they don't get paid back on their mortgage payment, that's their fault. It was their decision. Government doesn't owe them a bailout. And frankly, that's anti-capitalist to me. I would love to see capitalism actually implemented fully, which means zero government intervention to me. This might be a little bit too political, but hey, again, there's a lot of people out there who think that You know, the government should pay off their student loans and uh, the government should pay them a universal basic income for nothing, for doing nothing, or that you are owed housing for nothing. Not going to get fully into that here, but I'm saying I don't believe in this at all. We have to earn what we have in life. And when I chose to keep sleeping on the floor, even when I had a bed, it was because I felt I had not earned anything in life. I was a loser. doesn't matter what traits you have, like character traits. You could be funny, you could be witty, you could be smart, you could be loyal, you could be a good friend, you could be a good boyfriend, girlfriend, you could be a good dad, mom, son, daughter. You you could be a good person with good values and still be a loser if you're not contributing anything to the world, if you're not earning your place in the world. That doesn't mean that everyone has to make money. My wife doesn't have a job. I think she earns her place, definitely. I don't think I could do this without her. We're part of a team. Teams are what make the world go around, I think. Teams are what build strong businesses for the most part. Hardly anyone is actually a self-made millionaire. People who go the farthest in life, I think it's in large part because of the people they surround themselves with, the people they work with, and the power they are able to harness in teamwork. So I don't think that kids need to go out there and work on the farm in order to earn their place in life, but I definitely do think they need to go through hardships and do some form of work even if it's just chores and taking the garbage out and vacuuming the floor and just basic stuff that builds up their work ethic and builds up their values so that when they do go into the world they have these things and then they can actually earn their place in the world and i'm not just pulling this out of thin air by the way there are at least a few rather famous cases here and this goes all the way back to the renaissance in niccolo machiavelli's the prince And a lot of people talk about the prince for its, like, political maneuvering. They say, oh, you're acting Machiavellian if you're angling for power or climbing in an organization. People say the same thing about Robert Greene and his famous books, The 48 Laws of Power, 33 Strategies of War, Art of Seduction. They call that strategism Machiavellianism, whereas my reading of the prince really only got me thinking that being the prince was not a good thing. Again, this is all the way back in 1532. Machiavelli was talking about how the king earned his place. The king earned his kingdom. The king earned his power. And the prince is just given everything. So a lot of the prince was about how the prince has to do this maneuvering and stuff to earn his place within the court or within the hierarchy of the power structure there. Again, the king already earned it prince was born into it so therefore the prince is the one that has to do the maneuvering so I never really wanted to do the maneuvering and good thing I'm not a prince my old man had you know almost nothing to do with my life you've probably never heard me talk about him before and I'm not going to talk about him here so that was good I didn't have anything to live up to I didn't have coattails to ride I didn't have anything that was expected of me other than to form my own path and become my own person There's an awful lot of people complaining about not having a dad or something, but I think it's a blessing, actually. I have no pressure to become the king or to emulate my father in any way. Now, that is a little bit of a lost feeling where you do have to write your own story. You do have to come up with your own thing. But in all likelihood, the person trying to emulate someone else is not going to make it anyways. How many children of rock stars do you know that are also a famous rock star themselves? None come to my mind. And some of them try, but none of them are that impressive. You know, I like to listen to Merle Haggard. I don't care to listen to Merle Haggard's son. But if his son had his own extreme hardships in life and built his own values and character, I might find him interesting. But all of my favorite artists and musicians and thinkers, their children are either doing something completely different, or if they're trying to walk in the footsteps of their parent, they uh, They're not impressing me with it. And I hear a lot of people, especially successful people, especially like rappers and stuff, they say, oh, I'm going to give my child everything I never had. Well, guess what? The child is probably going to grow up to be the opposite of you. You grew into that hard or wise person because of the hardships you faced. Giving your child everything is in no way going to contribute to that. And I've got a couple of examples here from popular culture. First one I heard about recently was Jackie Chan's son. Jackie Chan, the famous kung fu actor, martial arts actor. One of the best that ever did it. The YouTube channel Sonny V2. He's always doing these uh, exposés on uh, people who screw up in life, basically. He did one recently on Jackie Chan's child
1: and it all began with J.C.'s luxury upbringing after his birth in 1982. At this point in time, Jackie Chan was permanently busy with acting, and would therefore spend only two weeks per year with his son, which was, quote, contained in the household as they were too famous to go outside. His father's busy schedule meant that J.C. was raised almost entirely by his mother, who began to spoil him with luxuries afforded by Jackie Chan's fame and fortune. Jackie wrote in his memoir, When he was little, J.C. never had to worry about having enough food, how to pay his school fees, or if he needed to be driven anywhere, I would arrange it all. I regretted that later. No one should have such a good life from their birth. Jackie Chan clearly believed this as his upbringing was almost the opposite. JC's cushy childhood led Jackie Chan to write in his book, When he was a teenager, I definitely didn't think JC was pushing himself hard enough. I'd work all day, go jogging at night, then get back and see that he'd gone to bed, even though it was only nine something. I'd grumble, he's asleep already. I'd storm out in a bad mood and go jogging again, thinking when I was his age, I wished he could follow me around all day to see how much I did. Sometimes I'll have eight meetings in a row, right up until midnight, then I'll go home, do some exercise and read scripts.
3: And there's a bunch of articles on this on the internet. Why Jackie Chan revealed the reason why his only son, J.C. Chan, will not inherit his wealth. Why? Because Jackie Chan had to put in the work himself. He had to go and train from dusk till dawn. He had to break all these bones in his body and his career. And he had to work hard. Hard-earned money. He's one of the highest-paid actors of all time, actually. And he's deciding to donate his empire to charity instead of his son because he's saying more or less his son doesn't deserve it. His son hasn't earned it. His son is a disappointment partially because they spoiled him. Jackie and his wife spoiled him. Even JC's mother said we shouldn't have spoiled him. So all these people saying they're going to give their child everything. I think you're deliberately ruining their chances of becoming a hard or wise person And by the way, hard does not mean tough. It does not mean tough. I'm not tough. Not at all. Don't like to fight. Don't want to fight. Don't want any problems. Told you I grew up with musculoskeletal problems. I'm not into fighting. That's not what hard means. Hard means you can take the crap in life. People say, well, why should I have to take this crap? Because that's life. Because those of us who take that crap and embrace the suck as some military groups say, embrace the suck. Those are the ones who become the leaders. Those are the ones who do the thing that the other people don't want to do. And it probably is the thing that people don't want to do that will make you be successful. I say this all the time. My business is boring. It's really boring. I've seen so many people drop out because it's so boring, frustrating, dealing with people too, dealing with sick people. You know, We deal with death and disease. We deal with people at their worst. We deal with people when they're desperate. And they're annoying, honestly. I'm not a people person, but I understand the the trouble that they're in. I'm just saying it's very difficult to deal with people when they're at their worst. And I've seen plenty of people drop out of this business because they couldn't tolerate it, number one, or because it was too boring, too repetitive. Well, guess what? If you're going to go train to be a lawyer or a doctor or any of these high-status professions, or most of them at least, none come to mind that conflict with this. If you're going to be in one of these high-status professions, you're going to have to do hours upon hours, hundreds of hours, years of extremely boring stuff. I went to school to be an engineer. I dropped out. Not because it was too boring. I didn't want to work in a cubicle at the end of it, but it was boring. My goodness. The study was boring. The tests were boring. The subjects were boring. You know, law, I can only imagine. You have to memorize case studies and all this. Oh my goodness, it's boring. To be a doctor, oh my goodness, it's boring. You have to memorize so much. I'm in the nutrition business. I have to force myself to make it interesting. The only reason it's interesting is because it's my career now. Otherwise, my goodness, it's dry reading about vitamins over and over, reading all these health books that repeat themselves and conflict with themselves. And yeah, there's so many other things that I would rather be doing in my life. I'd rather be painting. I'd rather be smoking joints with my buddies and building cabins in the woods and all this stuff. But that doesn't create a big career. Actually, there are some people who have pretty successful careers filming themselves building cabins in the woods. It seems to actually be an easier career than being a painter. But nonetheless, even those things are boring. Learning how to build stuff is boring you have to go through trials and tribulations of learning you have to make lots of mistakes you have to repeat yourself endlessly that's especially true in art as well art and music very very boring and repetitive while you're learning which is years and again most people just drop out because the training period the practice period is so boring and difficult it's difficult because it's boring It's difficult because it's repetitive. Oh, we always want this new stimulus. Give me the new thing. uh, No, this is boring. I don't want to do it anymore. Well, you have to practice the scales on the piano until you master them. You have to practice your color mixing over and over again until you master it. It's just how it is. There are no shortcuts to this. By the way, I do love the book Mastery by Robert Greene. And there are other books that cover this as well. The fact that you you need more or less 10,000 hours of boring, repetitive, hard practice in order to be a master at anything. And I do believe that. And the reason there are not that many masters out there is because, number one, people don't know what to expect. They're not told this in school that, hey, if you want to be a master violinist, if you want to be a master painter, if you want to be a master engineer or something, you're going to need at least 10,000 hours. I mean, if you were told that, you would have a realistic expectation and you could put your head down and, and actually just get the practice out of the way. That's, that's number one. But number two, there's not that many masters because you do have to actually do the 10,000 hours, whether you expected that ahead of time or not. That is the main reason that there are so few masters and why the few masters there are shine so brightly because most people don't put in the work. Either they're not willing to or they didn't even know they had to put in that work. People say to me all the time, oh, I can only draw a stick figure. Well, that's because you've never put in any practice. That's it. There's no, there's no magic secret. There's no one who was born with talent. It's not true. Michelangelo, Picasso, you know, some of my favorites like John Singer Sargent, they're not born with it. They get off to a head start early a lot of times if you read their stories. Some of them didn't, like Vincent van Gogh, for example. He started later in life, and he became his own sort of master, but he wouldn't have been considered you know, classical master, whereas... People like Picasso and, and Michelangelo, they hit it hard to begin with in the early years, so that by the time they were, you know, even young men, they were killing it. They were, they were bringing individuality and, and real skill, real newness to their chosen arts, painting and sculpting. They were only able to do that because they put the work in first. They learned the basics first. They did the boring stuff first. They made a bunch of crappy paintings and sculptures first. Mozart wrote a bunch of crappy concertos first, before he released his masterpieces later on, well after the long thousands of hours of training and practice. Just saying. Without these hardships, there would be no masters, and it feels like the world that we're currently creating is a world without mastery. And that's a very difficult thing for me to wrap my mind around because mastery is so fulfilling. One of my favorite books, in fact I put it on my mandatory reading list, is called Drive by Daniel Pink. And he goes through this, you know, autonomy is, is one of the things that contributes to overall satisfaction in life, and so is mastery, purpose. When you master something, it feels really good to be good at stuff. Now that I'm good at doing the health thing, giving health protocols, answering health questions, I feel so much better about it. There was a period of time where I felt like I was faking it until I made it where I was giving my best answer, but I didn't feel that it was the best answer. And now I've gotten really in the flow of it. And yes, it feels really, really good. And the business reflects that as well. People actually look to me as an expert. Even the people that I used to look up to and train from, some of them have even told me, hey, Ryan, I look at you eye to eye now. It's an incredible feeling. It only came with the years and years of hard work, right? People just see the product People look at me sometimes they say, oh, Ryan, you're so smart. You know, you know all this stuff. You know, I try to correct them whenever possible saying it's not intelligence. I know people in this business who know just as much as I do or more, and it's not having anything to do with intelligence. Some of them are patently not intelligent, at least not book smart. I know people who can't read properly who actually know this business really well because it's not intelligence, it's practice it's about practice it's about doing the study and the practice most fields you need to do both and both of them are boring and both of them are difficult both of them are uncomfortable the study itself is uncomfortable the practice is uncomfortable pitching somebody on a business or a sale or a product or a health message before you're fully trained and before you're fully confident is extremely uncomfortable cold calls are uncomfortable trying to get your first customer man it's hard it's uncomfortable it's scary all these things These negative emotions, if you don't face these emotions and do the thing, then you're never going to get that sale, right? If you don't sit there for those hours and hours of tedium where you suck at the piano and you're hitting the wrong keys and all this stuff, you'll never be good at the piano. And there's just so many people choosing to watch Netflix instead of putting in the hard work to learn a real skill. And I know I started this whole thing with sleeping on the floor, but I think this is part of it. Discipline is practice across your whole life. And... If you haven't earned your self-respect, forget about what other people think. If you haven't earned your self-respect, which I didn't when I slept on the floor, then maybe sleeping on the floor will help you earn that. That was one thing where I was like, you know what? Even though I have nothing in life, even though I'm a loser, even though I don't have a plan, at least I'm not sitting around in comfort that I didn't deserve. And at least I'm not wasting time doing it. One of the benefits about sleeping on the floor is it so uncomfortable that you don't lay around in bed. You can't lay around in bed if you're not in bed. Just get up. And for a lot of those years, I was in the habit of just rolling over, boom, doing push-ups until my arms hurt. Maybe 50 push-ups, maybe 100 push-ups when I was in really good shape. And starting my day that way. Excellent way to start the day. You got the blood flowing and all this stuff. Again, you're on the floor, so it's already hard. Easy. A lot of these places were small, so I could just roll up the little mat that I slept on, or sometimes it was just blankets. i just fold some blankets up and sleep on them. Just roll them up and put them on a corner. Well, hey, now I have more space. I know you can get a bed that tucks up or folds up into the wall or whatever, but not when you're completely poor. You can't afford those extra things. So, yeah, sometimes I lived in places with no furniture. My friends would come over. We're sitting on kitchen tables and chairs. I didn't have a TV all these years either, by the way. I haven't owned a TV since I was a child. When I left to go off on my own. I never bought a TV. It's obviously same reasons. You don't want to lay around in bed and waste time. I don't want to sit around and watch TV either. Even if I have nothing else to do, I figured that reading books was better. You know, for years I didn't have anything to do and I just read book after book. Sometimes I would crank out two, three books in a day if they were a reasonable size. Even big books though. I might finish a huge book in a couple of days because I had nothing else to do and I didn't waste time watching TV or laying in bed or doing any other comfortable activity that I did not deserve and did not earn and could not afford. And you might think watching TV is free or sitting in bed is free. No, it's not. It costs you time. That's time that you could be building yourself with. And for me... Reading books was one of those things. It was one of the only things that I had in life. I didn't know how it was going to benefit me, but I felt that if I just kept doing it, that something would come of it. And it turned out I was absolutely correct. Putting in all that time, all that study, built me into a person who has a wide body of knowledge. I don't know everything, but I have a wide body of knowledge. Most people don't even read one nonfiction book per year, especially after they leave high school or college. So if you even read one, two, three books a whole year, you're ahead of a lot of people in terms of your general knowledge. And general knowledge can really help you find your place in life. Now that I've found my place in life, now I study specific knowledge, especially in the health genre, and that's leading me to become more and more of an expert, which is leading me to become more and more wealthy, first of all, and more and more satisfied with life, second of all. And now I actually feel that I do deserve these things. We do have a nice bed here. I didn't buy it. My wife bought it. It's the nicest bed I've ever slept in. This house that we're living in here in Houston, it's rented, but it's the nicest house I've ever lived in. It's pretty incredible, actually. I stand out in front of it and I say, wow, you know, I can pay for this, actually. This is pretty cool. And I don't feel undeserving of it. It's very, very nice to feel that you have earned what you've got. I mentioned TV. I still don't sit around watching TV. These days, we're very busy. I don't have very much time for anything other than work. Doing messages and emails and putting in orders and following up with customers and yeah, making content like this takes up pretty much all of my time. And I put in long days. I mean, lately even, I've been putting in 12, 14-hour days pretty consistently. I like to take Sundays off, but I haven't really been able to. But, you know, it's okay. These sacrifices are worth it you know take advantage of the season is what jim roan would say the late great jim roan take advantage of the season this harvest season right now don't know how long it's going to last so i know i've got to work hard during the harvest season and that's okay but back to the tv i do like to watch tv while i'm eating yeah while i'm eating my lunch my wife makes me eat two meals here. Usually I eat one meal when I'm at my house in Canada. By the way, it's a complicated situation. I'm not fully allowed to live in America. We haven't decided which country to live in. She has kids. They go to school down here in Texas. It's not as straightforward as just picking a place. We don't know. So I'm half time up north. I'm half time here. But in both places, I like to watch TV while I eat. And frankly, I feel like I deserve it. So I don't feel bad about it. Put something on that's going to distract my mind from. All of the stuff on my mind, even as i 'm doing this podcast, I should have turned my phone off. I see it. Customers are emailing me and stuff, and it 's hard to shut off from that so hey i deserve I deserve a little break before I did not deserve a break. This is my point here there 's a lot of people who talk to me, a lot of young men who don 't know what they 're doing in life don 't have a plan, are not really taking study that seriously. You know, they might read a book here and there, but uh, I bet they're spending a lot of time with their friends or with their girlfriend or playing video games or or watching TV, watching YouTube, definitely spending way too much time on Instagram and on the phone in general. And I don't think they deserve to do those things, honestly. I don't spend any time scrolling on, on Instagram or anything like that. I make my living on Instagram and I still don't spend time scrolling on it. I make podcasts. And I don't really listen to podcasts, not that often, I don't have time for it because I choose to put my time into things that actually build the business, things that build myself. I'd rather read a book than watch something because reading the book will actually build my knowledge. Videos are a very poor source of knowledge, by the way, that would be a whole another subject, but there's a lot of people wasting a lot of time. That's just my point here. And I think they need more discipline. I think like Jackie Chan's son, you know you don't deserve Jackie Chan's empire. Fifty cent is another one by the way, who's been very, very vocal about basically disowning his son he's He's been not bashful about that at all, and he's spoken about that many times over the years. He says, My son is a loser, basically <laughs> he doesn't deserve child support He doesn't deserve money from him. He doesn't deserve respect from him. You have to earn respect.
2: As I go over our relationship in my mind, the only answer that I can come up with is that I actually might have done too much for Marquise. How do you make a privileged child feel deprived or angry? I guess by getting him whatever
0: he wants.
4: A lot can happen in three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com.
3: I mentioned earlier self-respect. Well, kids are being taught these days. And to a degree, we were being taught that when I was growing up as well. Kids are being taught basically that you deserve respect just for being alive. I don't agree. You deserve a trophy just for participating. I don't agree. You deserve a trophy for winning. You deserve a degree for doing the work, right? A lot of kids are being passed through school and they're not even earning their grades. You don't deserve money unless you earn it. You don't deserve respect unless you build your own self-respect. And if you respect yourself without having earned it, I think you're wrong. I think you're going to be disappointed in life when you go out there and realize that you don't have any skills or values, strong values, to base your life on, base your character on. And if nothing else, this sleeping on the floor thing just helped me become hard. Chef Norman and I developed these three rules for the road, by the way, in the years that we spent homeless. And I wrote about these in my book, I Did It For The Money. Once again, you can find all of my books and the free audio and video versions on my website, noticebooks.org, notusbooks.org, and the audio version is here on this podcast. This is at the end. I I snuck in the rules for the road. The first rule is be cool. Be cool doesn't mean you wear sunglasses and you have any specific way of speaking or anything like that. Be cool just means that you are able to take the crap that life throws at you without complaining about it. It doesn't mean that you never complain. You're allowed to complain when things are uncomfortable, but it doesn't stop you from doing the thing. It doesn't stop you. I've seen so many people, again, drop out of hardships. Literally, go back and live with their parents because you know I'm hungry. You know, and this is hard out here and lame. You got to be able to take it. You got to be cool. You know, when things go wrong, you should expect them to go wrong. First of all, you shouldn't expect that much in life, and then you won't be disappointed. But unrealistic expectations are the number one cause of disappointment. So if you can be cool with and expect hardship, then you're going to be pleasantly surprised when things actually work out or things turn out better than you thought. Right? You might need to eat cheap food for a while you know, while you're building a business or you know, while you're saving up to buy a house or whatever it is. You might have to put up with some real crap to make it in life. And if you complain too much about it, you're probably just not going to make it. And this could apply to putting your head down and working, you know, doing the study to to get the degree that you need or whatever, you know. Getting coffees for people when you're starting out your firm or whatever. By the way, a short period of my life, I worked at the University of Sydney. A very, very generous and uh, gracious and great man, Professor Ian S.F. Jones. He invited me to come and basically... Work with him and his team at the Ocean Technology Group in the University of Sydney, and that sounds kind of prestigious. But when I showed up, I had no training in marine science or, or geophysics at all. Had to learn everything from scratch. He gave me all his textbooks from when he was in school in the '70s, and you know, I had to stay up late reading them. Good thing I didn't have a bed to lay around in, right? Could stay up late reading, could wake up early reading could read on the bus on my way to uh, the university and I would try and be there before him so that I could bring him a coffee. That's why I brought this up because I didn't go in expecting to be handed a good job or something like that. I did not show up expecting respect. I showed up expecting to have to earn my respect and I had to bring Ian his coffee every day. He didn't ask me to, but I wanted to. I asked him, is there anything I can do for you? Is there anything you need done? Is there anything that other people won't do? And I did all of that stuff to the point where I had earned my responsibilities within the group. To the point where I had major responsibilities on more than one project. To the point where people were counting on me. I showed up knowing nothing. I was a 22-year-old kid. Knew nothing about these fields. Marine science, geophysics, chemistry, water chemistry, ocean chemistry. All, all this stuff. Biology, you know, fish. and I didn't know anything about any of these things that we were doing. I went in and spent massive amounts of time learning it as fast as I could. Again, getting people coffees, not just Ian. doing things that were not in my job description. I didn't even have a job description, just whatever I can do to help the team. I did it, took that responsibility and bam, I ended up with more responsibility than I even wanted. And this story I've heard from many other people, people who showed up in some other industry and clawed their way up basically by humbling themselves, and doing the things that other people didn't want to do. There's a lot of people with so much pride in themselves who haven't earned it where they would never do this. They wouldn't get someone a coffee for no reason. They won't show up early. They won't stay late unless they're getting paid for it. They'll complain about it even if they do. That is not how you're going to be the real winner in life. Really, in any field, I can't think of any exceptions here. Nothing is going to be handed to you, and if it is, it's probably not going to even be worth it or feel good at all. Which is why Jackie Chan's son and 50 Cent's son don't seem to be doing very well in life emotionally either. They don't seem to be very satisfied even though those two boys grew up with more than me and I'm sure almost everybody else listening here. If not everybody. A lot of us might think, oh man, if I grew up with that type of privilege, I would have done something really good with it. Probably not. You probably would grow up to be a loser like those two boys as well because they did not have to earn their place. They had it handed to them, and there is no lessons learned if something is handed to you. Think about it. I hand you a law degree right now. You're a lawyer, officially. What does that mean? It means nothing. You don't know anything about law. You're not a lawyer. If you attempt to go try a case, you're going to lose that case. You're going to look like a fool because you haven't put in the work and earned the title. You haven't earned the position. You haven't earned the respect that goes with that position. And you will look and feel foolish if you attempt to be something that you're not, be something that you haven't earned. And I do think this applies to the what we would consider the lowly trades as well. You can't just pretend to be a plumber. You have to learn it. You have to train it. You have to get that experience. I have a lot of respect for plumbers, by the way. Electricians, hairdressers, all this stuff. It takes training. It takes experience. It takes a lot of learning how to deal with people and, and customers and other businesses and commercial, whatever it is whatever type of field that you're working in, there's a lot of different work, not just in learning the skill, but in learning how to navigate that career as well. You can't just inherit it. My old man was an audio technician in radio. I can't just pretend to be an audio technician. I can't just say, oh, well, I saw him doing this stuff. So therefore, you know, I kind of know it too. No, you have to put in the work yourself to learn the thing yourself. This might sound obvious to a lot of people, by the way. But I bet it's not obvious for a ton of people out there, especially a ton of people who have no idea what they're doing in life, which is something I hear a lot. A lot of young men just, again, they don't know where they're going. And you don't have to know where you're going, but they're not preparing themselves to put in work in order to get anywhere. So they're probably not going to get anywhere. This also goes for people who got degrees, by the way. There's so many people with anthropology and psychology degrees who are serving coffees at Starbucks. I worked at Walmart when I was 18, All of my managers had university degrees, but they did not have a solid plan. They did not put in the work to build their career in that field, so they ended up working at Walmart. So this might seem like we've strayed off topic from sleeping on the floor, but again, I do think this is an excellent way to implement some basic level of discipline. And if you have a basic level of discipline, you can apply that to other things in your life. There's quite a lot of gurus out there. Over the past several years who have been saying the phrase, make your bed. They say, make your bed before you do anything else in the day. They say, like, this is the first uh, win of the day. Uh, Okay. And I agree to an extent. I especially like waking up early. I'm a big fan of waking up early. Another thing that's easy to do when you sleep on the floor is pretty easy to wake up early. First time you open your eyes, you don't want to go back to bed because you're uncomfortable. But I do believe that the early bird gets the world, not the worm. It's the world. The early bird gets the world. But I disagree that making your bed is the most important thing. I'm wondering why so many people have a bed when they haven't earned it. Again, we take this for granted. Like, oh, you know, just everybody has a bed, don't they? No, a lot of the world doesn't have a bed. I didn't have a bed until I was a grown-up. Even now in my house up north, the only reason I have a bed actually is because... Our house is so small that I actually need the bed for the storage space underneath it. I've thought about going back on the floor, actually, especially when I am getting more and more busy. I think that, hey, well, if I slept back on the floor, then I might wake up even earlier. I already wake up early. I might wake up even earlier and get even more done. And my bed isn't very comfortable or anything up there. It's a hand-me-down. It's my buddy's bed from college. Like, actually, it's probably gross if I think about it. It's old. and it's Yeah, it's not comfortable. But I actually need that storage space. We don't actually have any closets in our house or anything like that. So, like, literally, my clothes go under the bed. And I think if I slept on the floor, I wouldn't have that space. I don't know what I would do. I I could make some shelves or something maybe. But, yeah, anyways, I don't see it as a big deal now because I think I earned a bed, actually. But sometimes when I think that I'm getting a little bit lazy or that I'm feeling a little bit entitled or I'm thinking, you know, I've come this far, we help all these people, all this stuff, Uh, you know, maybe I deserve an early retirement or something. But I don't think I do. I don't think that's what I'm here in this world to do. I think I'm here to do my work. And I think I know what my work is now it's in the health business. And, you know, communicating these important subjects to you guys and stuff. I think this is my calling. And I don't think I want to retire at all, let alone early. And I'm just saying that the bed is now an inconsequential thing to me. Now I fully have the discipline. I don't have to think I wake up I work. I wake up, I read, I wake up, you know, I I get the list done. I don't give myself excuses. I really don't take days off very often and almost never take an entire day off. And I'm not glorifying workaholism. I am kind of a workaholic, but my fulfillment comes from my work. It doesn't mean you have to work all the time. I do actually deserve a vacation, and I actually think I need a vacation relatively soon. But I also think that I still need to work very, very hard to provide for my wife, her kids, You know, this family thing that we've got going on and, you know, we don't own the proper house. We rent this house in Texas. My house up north, I told you, it's very small. It's an old crappy mining house. It's really, it was really cheap. It was a good deal. It was great for what it was and what it is when we needed it. But yeah, I'm trying to step up in life. We do have some savings, but I know that I have to work a lot harder to really, really get the life that I want. My wife wants Uh, to do bigger things like open a healing center or pay a proper editor for content and all this stuff. It's just, you know, I've done good and I deserve a vacation, but I still have to work hard. And if you don't have that drive automatic, if you don't have your workflow automatic, then maybe taking things away will be important for you. And I've already gone longer than I expected here, but I actually have a couple more things that have come up in my life. A couple of times... Two different people have reached out to me and said, Ryan, I've got a bit of a problem because I talk about paying yourself first. I talk about the rules of gold from The Richest Man in Babylon, one of my favorite books and audiobooks, by the way, which is also here on my podcast, by the way, scroll down. If you've never heard The Richest Man in Babylon, you need to. I had that on repeat back when I had nothing in life. And anyways, I talk about this often enough where sometimes people reach out to me for financial advice or just to have a conversation about money. And two different times, I've had two different people, a woman and a man, different parts of the world, reach out to me and say, Ryan, I think I make too much money. And they're talking about, they don't feel the need to save, first of all, because they already have some money, and they don't feel the need to work harder. They say, you know, I'm blessed that I have this job that pays me all this money. It's more than I need even, and I find myself not having the drive to do more, and obviously if they're bringing this up, they, they have the desire to do more, but they don't have the motivation to do more. My advice for both of those people was to pay themselves more, which means savings, you put that in your savings and you invest that, so you actually have less. Me and my bank accounts right now, there's zero dollars in my checking accounts, zero. Every single morning, I look at what goes into the account, I pay myself 10% first, at least, that's for future investments, that's for something that grows in value. And then I reinvest the products of those investments. Once they pay off, I reinvest that, that's the cycle of wealth here. The whole rules of gold, the richest man in Babylon thing, you know, you don't you don't take advice from people who don't know what they're talking about and all this stuff, but the basic thing is you pay yourself first, you invest that money into something that grows in value, and then you also invest the products of that investment, so you have a cycle of wealth, so that your income increases, and there's much more to it. but. My advice was to pay themselves more so they have less. Because if you have $10,000 in your checking account, you don't even need to go to work today, do you? Most of us don't. We've had that much money. Well, I do have you know, more than that. Not in my checking. It means it doesn't exist. It's in my savings. I fight with my wife sometimes about this too. She wants to buy something. I say, baby, we have to wait until I get paid. But we have all this money. Well, it's in our savings. We don't spend our savings. Savings is for investment. Savings is for our future. It's not for whatever it is we think we need right now. I can earn what we need right now. We haven't earned it yet. The savings is something I earned in the past. This might sound a little bit too harsh, but I really don't know any financial gurus who will disagree with this. You pay yourself first, and that money is not to be spent on anything that does not make you more money. So therefore, it doesn't exist for your daily spending. If I have zero dollars in my checking right now, there's no money for food right now. I'm not going shopping until I think Monday is the next time I'll get a significant payment on my card. Other than that, 10% goes to me and I do get payments in every day, but I have to buy products for customers and whatnot. It's complicated, but money comes in, 10% goes to me. 10% is mine to keep for my savings, for my future, for my family's future, etc. Then I'll pay debts. I do have debts. I got to buy products. There's a time lag, you know, the customer buys something off my website, I have to order the product for them. I'm not even going to get that money for like five business days, up to five business days. So there's a time lag there where I don't have any money actually. And I do pay my debts before I buy anything new. So a lot of times I have no money. Like I said today, I have $0 in my checking, and that's actually the way I like it all the time. If I know we need groceries, I will pay myself 10% first. I'll pay debts. And I'll leave $200 in the checking account because I know we're going shopping today. So that's more than enough for the shopping. And then whatever's left, I will also pay you know more of the debt, whoever I owe, which it's usually my mom, by the way. It's usually, I don't have a credit card. I haven't had a credit card. I haven't had any credit or mortgage or anything like that since I was a kid. So when I need to order products, it's on her card. And so I have to pay her back for that. And if there happens to be money left over after I paid myself for future investments and after I paid my debts and after we've gotten the necessities like food and paid the bills and stuff like that, then maybe I buy myself a treat. Maybe I buy myself a record. Maybe I go on thriftbooks.com and buy some books. But all of that comes after. And this would be the same with like a car. I want a new car. I have to save for that separately. It just doesn't come out of the main financial pool for our future. And this is very normal for a lot of people I know who follow the richest man in Babylon and rich dad, poor dad, or the automatic millionaire or the wealthy barber or many of these other gurus who talk about paying yourself first. This is very normal for lots of people. Pay yourself first, pay your debts off. And yeah, if you have stuff left, that's what you get your necessities from. You might switch that order up. You might buy your necessities and then pay your debt. To me, it does not matter. The point is you don't use savings for new things. I don't use savings for food. I don't use savings for some new piece of equipment that I need for the business. In this case, we need a new desk. I'm sitting on the most uncomfortable chair and desk. We actually did just buy a new chair. I'm really excited for it to arrive on Monday, but it was with extra money only. It's not... With the money that comes in the regular flow. And sometimes I even need to save for things. Especially this big furniture stuff we're buying for this big empty house that we have. And anyways, these people who are saying they make too much money, they make so much money that they don't have the motivation to work harder and do the other things they want to do or uh, build a new business. You know, maybe they have a job that pays them a lot of money, but it's not really fulfilling them. So they want to start a new business, but they can't find the motivation to do it. And they go out on the weekends and they party and they are traveling all over the world because they have all this money. Well, my advice to them was to pay yourself more so that you have less And if you have $0 in your checking account, then you can't go out on Friday night. You have to say, hey, friends, you know, sorry, I know I've been going out and partying hard with you, but I can't right now because I don't have any money. They say, what do you mean you don't have any money? Well, I put it in my savings. Well, can't you just spend that? No. You put your foot down, and if you have nothing, then you have all the motivation to work hard. And you have nothing else to spend it on. Nothing else to spend your time on, right? If you have all this money, hey, you can go out for dinner tonight. You can go... uh, see your friends you know you can there's so many different things you can do with your money but all of that takes your time as well so if you have no money you've got nothing to do but work i like that i like having zero dollars in my account every day if possible Uh, like i said unless i need to go out and spend money i have zero dollars so i have a hundred percent motivation to make more money today and that's how i live my life and yeah i have more money than i ever imagined actually we have enough to buy a house right now. we just we haven't decided where to do it. could buy a sports car right now if I wanted. I don't want. that would be a pretty big waste for me. but anyways, scarcity can be a good thing. A lot of people are talking like, oh, we live in this world of abundance and we do. we do. but that that is nothing but a good thing. I just couldn't disagree more. The abundance has created spoiled entitled people, not just the younger generations. People who don't have the motivation to work hard, people who don't have the motivation to invent something new, to write a new book, to yeah, create something bigger than themselves or, and whatnot. It's scarcity that causes people to work hard. How many musicians do you know who you love their early work when they were hungry? You love their early work when they had nothing. You love their early work when they had something to prove. But then they get older, they get richer, and their work becomes boring. I can think of many visual artists and painters that fall into this category where their later work is just lame. One of my favorites, Picasso. People say he's overrated now i don't I don't know how they can say that that's blasphemous, but most definitely his later work is very boring to me, and that's what he's most famous for is his later work. but it's his early work when he was starving and you know living in a really ghetto place I mean that's when he did his best work you know when a lot of artists are experiencing their uh, biggest tragedies and emotional traumas. That's, that's when you really find their most passionate work being done, whether it's painting or music or poetry or whatever, right? How many good movies are all about the good times? I mean, it's, that's antithetical, actually, to good writing. You need conflict. You need something to go wrong or there's no drama involved. You need to take things away from the hero. This is, as they call, the Superman problem, by the way, in writing. The Superman problem is when the the character, the hero, is too overpowered, so they have no obstacles. You know, if the hero just can run over everybody and there's no challenge, then it's no fun to watch. So when you have the Superman problem, you have to take things away from the hero. You have to kill their family or burn down their house. In writing here, this is fiction, you, know, you have to knock them down a peg or two so that they are less powerful, actually. That's kind of the same advice I gave to these people who have too much money. Take away some of your power, and then maybe that'll give you more of the fire under your butt to to get off of it and do some work, right? A lot of people are dealing with the Superman problem in their life just because we're so comfortable. You actually don't have to do anything in this life. If you're a kid right now, honestly, you can stay at home probably until you're 30 years old. Google tells me that the average age right now in America where people leave their houses, leave their parents... It's between 24 and 27 years old. So there you go. You can sit at home until you're 27. And that's perfectly normal. You can play video games. You can smoke weed all day. In Canada, weed is so cheap now. Oh my goodness. We we could smoke until I pass out for like 10 bucks. You don't have to do anything. You don't have to go to school. You can get welfare. They'll give you welfare for doing nothing. You have some kids, they'll give you even more money. You don't have to work in this world. We're too comfortable. There's too much abundance. Everyone has a roof over their head and they expect that. And I recommend for many people who are feeling like, yeah, this is my life, man. Yeah, I just, I've been lazy. I don't have the motivation to do much. Well, take stuff away from yourself. Take the TV away. Take the video games away. Take the bed away, right? People say, make your bed first. No, I say, get rid of your bed. Earn your bed. Buy a bed when you earn it. I don't care if my bed is made or not, by the way. That was never a thing for me. I don't care. I don't work in my bed. And for many years, I didn't have a bed anyways. So I just roll it up and put it in a corner. And now I don't care if the bed's made. My wife likes our bed made here. And I do that because she likes it. But... To me, it doesn't matter. They say that that's a way to instill discipline in yourself. I think sleeping on the floor is a way better way to instill discipline in yourself. But yeah, if you do have a bed, then yeah, make your bed. Tidy your room. I agree with the gurus. I agree with Jordan Peterson. You do need to be organized and clean and tidy to you know think properly and, and show respect for yourself, basically. And other people will respect you more when you show more respect for yourself. And yeah, keeping a tidy room and making your bed is one part of that. Now, no one sees my bed, so I really just don't care. But... I already have these habits, right? Again, I wake up and work. I'm not saying I'm the best or anything. I'm not. This is not an ego thing. In fact, my ego has long been dead, I think, for the most part. But I'm so glad that I have these habits because I'm also no longer depressed anymore. I don't have to think about what to do. I don't have to care what other people think. Why do I care what you think? I know I'm doing what's right. I know I'm doing what's best for me. And I work so hard that I deserve the fruits of my labor including the bed. And before I sign out here, because I know I've gone long, I wanted to share the story of the Buddha. If you didn't know, a lot of you do know, but if you didn't know, there was a prophecy given to Siddhartha, the Buddha, Siddhartha's parents, that he would become a powerful king or a great spiritual leader. His father, fearing he would become the latter, the great spiritual leader, fearing he would become the great spiritual leader, He wanted him to become a king. He feared he would become a great spiritual leader if he were exposed to the suffering of the world. So his father protected the Buddha, protected him from seeing or experiencing anything unpleasant or upsetting for the first 29 years of his life. But eventually the Buddha was exposed to some of the unpleasantries of life, some of the hardships in life. The Buddha was exposed to an aged man, a sick man, a dead man, In other unpleasantries, and he realized that he too could become sick, and would grow old, and would die, and would lose everything he loved. And the Buddha had a hard time with these thoughts, but he noticed the religious ascetic that he was exposed to, which is a highly religious person. Even though he was just as doomed as anyone, and was going to die and become old, this religious person seemed at peace, and the Buddha asked him why he seemed so content. The religious person told him he was pursuing the path of spiritual reflection and detachment, recognizing the world and its trappings as an illusion, and was therefore unconcerned with loss as he had already given everything away. So the person who had nothing was at peace, and the Buddha who had everything raised by a king, whose father wanted him to be a king as well, right? The prince here. All he had was anxieties and fears. And what did the Buddha do? He exposed himself to hardship deliberately. He went out and sat under a tree for years, he exposed himself to suffering, he exposed himself to the elements, he gave up all material objects, he gave up caring what other people think, and this tale and this person may be allegorical or not, I don't even know if it's a real person, but the point of the story is he had everything and he was not happy. And he hadn't earned any of that stuff. I'm not saying that material things are bad. I love my material things and it allows us to reach people all over the world. And I love my books and my wife likes the nice things, you know, the soft sheets and all this stuff. That is fine. But it is really the most fine when you earn it. And when you earn it, you can pay for it too. You know, you're not living on credit and all this stuff. And I could go on and on about this. I'm just saying the Buddha himself learned how to live through suffering. And I think there's a lot to that doesn't mean we have to be unhappy and miserable all the time but if you don't understand hardships it's very hard to appreciate the opposite if you don't understand sleeping on the floor it's very hard to appreciate your nice fluffy bed i will absolutely never forget living with nothing i will never forget sleeping in my car i will never forget sleeping on a bench i will never forget having to ask people if i could stay for dinner because i had no other option to eat i'll never forget doing tattoos for cigarettes because i had no way to buy them And I most definitely appreciate the abundance that I am afforded now. And I do feel way more generous with it. Back when I had nothing, first of all, I couldn't give anything to anyone. But I also would feel bad about it if I had to. If I had to spend money on someone else, I would feel bad about it. Largely because I didn't have enough for myself. But now that I have more than enough for myself, the people close to me have to kind of bug me and tell me to stop giving so much away. I give more product and even money away now. I used to earn in a whole year If each year I give away now more than I used to earn it's an incredible thing I don't bring it up to brag I bring it up to tell you how amazing it feels to be generous with the abundance that you have earned and with the knowledge that I will likely earn even more with the generosity which is a whole nother concept but I do believe that giving away brings it right back to you actually the more you give away the more you will probably earn that's part of the rules of gold even if it's not spoken of in those terms in the richest man in babylon i do believe that it is part of the cycle of wealth and anyways i think i've labored this point enough if you have never experienced the type of hardships i'm describing maybe you should maybe you have too much and that's why you don't have motivation to do anything Maybe your path forward will become clear when you take some of your comforts away. And maybe the bed is the first thing to go. And that is all I've got to say on the subject for now. Once again, you can find more from me on my website, notusbooks.org. All of my books are there in the free audio and video versions of my books. Many more audiobooks are there as well in the audiobook section. Many hundreds of book reviews, and most of them are on stuff that is supposed to improve your life, whether it's health or this personal development type of stuff that we talked about today. And I would love it if you reached out to me and told you if this message resonated with you at all, if you've implemented any of these things, or if you do in the future. If you're one of the people who ditches your bed because of this talk, let me know. Send me an email. Reach out to me on social media. Tell me what happened. I appreciate all of you guys until next time.